Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I am thankful as well for the night that he saved me. And uh, I appreciate the invitation that Ms. Tamer gave. If you don't know him, come to him. He will no wise cast you out. Whatever your story is, your background may be, come to him. And that's his invitation to you and I, and I'm thankful uh, that we've been given that uh, that opportunity to come to him and that he has grace for us and mercy for us and as high as you feel like your sins might be his grace goes higher and his mercy goes higher uh, but I do appreciate the testimony this morning that is a blessing uh, you'll find your place today in the word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter number 12 Hebrews chapter 12 if you were here on Wednesday uh, we were in Hebrews 11 and so we'll Continue to build from there, if, if you will, uh, as, of course, we, you know, we're, sometimes we may lose sight of or just not think of the fact of the way um, oftentimes we're, our messages are broken up, but, of course, these books are written as books, and they were written in order, and the chapters were, of course, added later, and so if you close Hebrews 11, then naturally Hebrews 12 flows, and so hopefully that'll help the connection, but regardless if you were here Wednesday night or not, uh, I think these verses have a... Um, helpful message for us this morning and will probably speak to many souls here this morning and uh, I'm sure likely even every single one uh, with the message that it that it delivers Hebrews chapter 12 and if you would stand this morning in honor and reference to the word of the Lord as we read we're just going to read the first four verses of the chapter um, where it says this wherefore Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Father, we love you this morning. We know that's only because you first loved us, and we praise you for that. I thank you for salvation, and I thank you for, uh, Lord, the testimony that was shared just a moment ago. And uh, God, we do thank you for your strength that you give us, Lord, to help us through the most difficult days and the most challenging days. And uh, Lord, our passage of Scripture, even this morning, speaks to that about how to handle adversity, and how to press forward in adversity. And Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. God, would you take your word and uh, let it take it further from our ears but into our hearts, Lord. God, would you do this morning through your word what I can never do. Uh, God, would you help us to hear and to obey and to receive your word with humility and with submission. And God, if there's someone here today that's lost, that has never accepted the invitation to come unto Christ, Lord, I pray that today might be that day that as we studied last week, that they might be born again, that they might believe on you, the Son of Man who was lifted up, so that they might not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be here today, the freedom to be here. And thank you for your word to build our life upon. Thank you for its surety and its steadfastness. Lord, we thank you again for all you do. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. I like, I like when things can be said in a unique way. We call them sayings, I guess, is the, the term that we probably recognize those, those types of 
phrases by. I think it adds a freshness to conversation, and oftentimes it adds humor. For example, as people get older, they may tell you that they just don't have the energy that they used to have, or they might explain how they used to could work outside all day long, but now they have to come inside after a couple hours and cool off, and then they may go work again for a little while, and then they have to come back and cool off. But if they want to add some character to this narrative, the person might say, my get up and go has got up and went. And the same thing is being communicated when they, if they use that phrase. The person is trying to explain to you that they don't have quite the same drive and energy that they one time did. Well, this morning, some people feel that way in their Christian life. They struggle to keep going. They have lost much of the drive and energy towards continuing in the Christian life that maybe they one time had. Maybe it's gone so far with you that you've reached the point that you are near quitting. I realize this morning I'm preaching to people who are at church on a Sunday morning. But maybe in your heart you know there's no real fervency in your life for Christ. There's no real fervency in your Christian walk. And maybe you're just here because you, if you're being honest, you don't want to lose the respectability of being a churchgoer. But you would also admit that you're not enjoying real life in Jesus. Maybe you're just here because it's easier than trying to explain to people why you weren't at church. But if you were honest, if you had the opportunity and felt like you could do so under the radar without much controversy, without people saying anything to you, you may just walk away from a life of faith altogether and stop fighting in this fight. Well, our text of Scripture this morning is going to push you onward. The old hymn says, press on. It won't be very long until we reach that land of song. In heaven, some sweet day, I'm going there to stay. Press on, it won't be very long. The message of that song does not just sound forth from the hymnal. That's the call of the Scriptures. It's the same thing, to press forward, to keep going as a child of God. Even though the weight of your burden may grow heavy and your faith may grow weak, press forward, keep living for Christ, keep living a life of faith in Him. Know this morning this, if pressing on is becoming hard for you, you're not the only Christian to ever live in that place either now or in the past. The Hebrew Christians dealt with that very same issue, if continuing in their life of faith. Hebrew Christians were persecuted severely. The way the Jews treated Jesus, well, you can imagine they're not going to treat those from Judaism that convert to Christianity, that convert to following Christ. And so they face much hardship, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to help them to continue on, to encourage them to continue following Christ. And we're going to see the, an emphasis on that message here in these verses of Scripture. So if you're losing your drive, if you will, this morning for living for Jesus, then Hebrews 12 is going to help you. If you've lost much of your passion for living for Jesus, well, Hebrews 12, you can, you can find some rejuvenation here in these verses. How can we continue on for him? How can we be faithful? Well, first of all, he says in verse number one, to consider the examples of the witnesses that have gone before. This is where it connects so smoothly with Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, as most people know, is titled, as I said Wednesday, many different things. I know it as the Hall of Faith, where many Old Testament saints, specifically their names are mentioned, and for some their works are mentioned the things they did by faith and how they obtained a good report. And based on that, the writer then says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
think the writer of Hebrews wants us to employ our imagination as he begins writing chapter number 12. To translate the imagery that is given in these verses into our day, I think you have to think about a sporting event. The athletes are on the field, the court, the track, and the fans are, or the viewers are all around and they're watching as this competition take, is taking place. And the writer is painting this picture where you and I are the athletes, we are uh, the ones that are living now, who are currently living for Christ, are the athletes who are running their race now. So that's the picture he gives us, that of a track meet. The life of faith is compared to a race. And that's the way we, a fair way of thinking about our walk with the Lord. It's a runner's race. A race is, that word is, refers to an athletic contest or a struggle. It refers to a grueling conflict. So as I mentioned, when we looked at fighting the good fight of faith, it's not a friendly competition, it's not a walk in the park, this life is compared to a gruesome conflict, a difficult, challenging, physical test is what this life of faith is compared to. You, can't, you must approach it that way, because if not, you're going to be deceived, and if you are deceived, it's going to be at your own expense, for the Lord has warned us. But while we're on this track, we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, I mentioned in Hebrews 11, they're named. Some are, uh, that are mentioned are Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the harlot, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. As we're running our race, the writer says, think about or seeing that we are compassed about, covered Surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. One thing I think we have to be careful of, though, is mystifying that too much. And that should we think about as I'm standing here this morning that Noah's watching me, that Abraham's watching me, that Isaac and Jacob, is, is, are they have their eyes on me. Well, most writers say no. The idea is more that we're looking to them, they're not looking to us. In heaven, their attention is going to be on Jesus. I don't think their attention is on me or on any of us this morning. The point is, look to them as examples, as people who have gone before us, as people who have lived exemplary lives of faith, as men and women who have done great works for God by faith. Look to them as an example, as people who have gone on before us. As John MacArthur points out, we're not running to get praise from past saints It is simply their example that we use to encourage us to press on. So think about Noah, the man who worked on building an ark for many years for a tremendous flood when it had never rained as God commanded him to do. So when God tests your faith about asking you to do something hard and something that may bring mockery to your life and upon you, does Noah's example not give you courage? And does Noah's example not give you strength to accept and embrace the Word of God, and follow Him. Think about Abraham. He was called to leave where he was from, called to leave his home and his family, and just start journeying until God said or showed him where to go. So when your faith is challenged in a way that you think, I just don't know if I can do that, or if your faith is challenged so in a way that you have more questions than you do answers, does Abraham's example not give you strength and courage to move forward in following God? Think about Joseph. Joseph didn't want his body buried in Egypt because he was certain that one day God would lead them out and take them back to the promised land. 
And if your faith is ever challenged and if you begin to wonder if God will keep His promises, if God will do what He has said He would do, does Joseph's example of faith not inspire you to continue clinging to God's Word? Moses went to Pharaoh and demanded the release of God's people as God commanded him. When you think living a life of faith is impossible, does his example not give you courage? David stood against Goliath and David had confidence in God to deliver him and give him victory. Does David's example not embolden you to stand against all opposition? In each of these specific people listed, they showed tremendous levels of faith. And as we consider them, as we bring their example to mind, does it not encourage us to do the same? When you look to them, they show us that a persistent life of faith is possible and doable. And it's easy for our mindset to get to become to the place of saying, I just don't think I can do it. I don't know if I can go any further. And when you reach that place, consider this great cloud of witnesses who have shown you what it is to live a life of faith, to do hard things and trust in God in doing them. By thinking of them, we're reminded of people who had their faith tested. Their faith was put through trial. But we're reminded that their faith did not collapse under the pressure. And that encourages us and gives us strength to move forward when our own faith is tested. The writer in these verses gives two specific things that we can do to help follow in their footsteps as good examples. If you will, how he tells us how we can have a more impressive performance in using the imagery of a race. First, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. It only makes sense if you're going to run a race, you don't want stuff slowing you down. I read that in this day, these runners in the, the Olympic top games that they had in the biblical context would run naked. They didn't want anything slowing them down. I guess they didn't have Nike dry fit clothing, you know, all that stuff that people use now that helps. So that's how they run. They didn't want anything blocking them or slowing them down. So that's the image we're given. Lay aside every single sin and the weights that so easily beset you. Be sure of this, Christian, that sin will slow you down. Sin will make your running hard. If there's sin in your life, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be repented of because it will make you your race not as efficient and not as effective as it could be. But also he mentions weights. John MacArthur said that the weight that's specifically referred to here is probably the Levitical system. These Christians were tempted to go back because they followed Christ and now their life has gotten really hard. They're suffering persecution. And so you can see why naturally it might be easier to say, why don't I just go back to what I was doing? Life was much easier then. So maybe the weight being referred to is that Levitical system. And he's saying, if that's slowing you down, set it aside. So in regards to this, I think it's fair to consider this weight that's referred to anything, anything that keeps you from going full speed for Jesus. And what does he say to do? Lay it aside. Separate yourself from it. Anything that you are drawn to more than Christ can be considered a weight or a hindrance. And that could be a long list of things that in and of themselves may not seem bad. But if they pull you away from Christ, if they take more of your focus than He does, they need to be laid aside. This morning, are you willing 
is living well and running your race well for Jesus, important enough to you that you will give up anything that might stand in your way of doing so. A lot of people, I was listening to a clip this week of a preacher I really, really think the world of, and he's talking about preaching a different text, but talking about being willing to make sacrifices for Christ. And he said, a faith that costs you nothing means nothing. If following Jesus, and in, if in following Jesus, you're not willing to sacrifice anything, to be more faithful, to be more true, to be more persistent in your running, then Jesus does not mean as much to you as he should. And the same is true in my life. Anything that slows me down, anything that deters me, anything that causes my steps to not be as efficient, I should be willing to lay aside so that I could follow him better and more faithfully. The writer also says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That word patience speaks of endurance or perseverance and steadfastness. Again, the idea that yes, this life is a challenge. This life is not ever described in Scripture as being easy. But also, the Scripture never gives us the Scriptures never give us room to quit or give up or say, I've had enough. We're to run our race with patience, persistence. The word run refers to an intense effort. It speaks of giving everything that you have. I wonder this morning, are we running in this race the way that that word Infers. Many are just walking. They're, they're, they, if you ask them, they'll tell you they're a Christian, but there's not a lot of intensity to their journey. They're not giving it everything they have to follow Jesus. Well, these words challenge that. He says, let us run with patience. This race that is set before us. That, the word set before us refers to something that's appointed or destined. God already has a plan for your life, which will include, I promise you, it will include highs and it will include lows. What these verses are telling us is through the highs and through the lows, we're going to be patient. We're going to be faithful. We're going to persevere. We're going to be steadfast. We should run our race so that nobody ever has to wonder if we're going to quit or, or give up. Faithfulness should mark the life of a believer. But he also says this, not just looking to those witnesses that have gone before us, their example, their encouragement. And I think you could take that and look at other faithful saints you've known personally in your life. Look at their example. People that you knew from the moment they were saved, that yeah, they had highs and lows, they had moments where you saw that their sinful nature come out of them, but they were faithful. Well, their example should encourage you. But also he says, look unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Thyre's Greek lexicon says that the word looking to is referred to in verse, this mention of verse number two means to turn your eyes from other things and fix them on something. So the next time your life is, if your life of faith is, is beyond challenging and you don't know if you can keep going, the text is saying get your eyes off of whatever it might be that's discouraging you, whatever it is that might be working to pull you away and get your eyes fixed on Jesus. And think about what he did. He, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. 
When life has you feeling like you want to give up, get your eyes off of whatever it is that has you feeling that way and look to Him. You and I can't wrap our mind around the cross and the pain, the, the, the agony of the cross. Jesus was treated as a blasphemer by the very people He created. He was treated as a worthless criminal by the people He holds together. And Jesus, the Bible says, despised those feelings, but yet He endured the cross. Jesus' journey of faith, if you will, was not easy. For Jesus to be true to what God had laid upon Him, the plan of God for Him, His ministry, His mission for taking up a robe of flesh and involved pain. It involved hardship. It involved conflict. But Jesus never laid the cross aside. Jesus never said, I'm done with this. I've had enough. Jesus never turned His back on the Father. And therefore, when we put our eyes upon Him, we are challenged and reminded to do the same. That you and I can never lay our cross down. And I promise you this, our cross will never, ever be as heavy as Jesus Christ was. So by looking to Him, you and I are reminded and encouraged to press forward. Because He did. He endured the cross. But what helped Him endure the cross? It says, for the joy that was set before Him. Jesus knew that after the torment and after the shame, that He would be, as the text mentions, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew that there would be that glorious morning of resurrection. Jesus knew that the pain of the cross was only for an appointed time, it was not forever. Tell you again this morning, life will bring heaviness, life will bring pain, and life will bring hardship. And when it does, you and I must act like Jesus and keep our focus on the joy that is set before us. You need to remember that one day, as the saying goes, it will be worth it all. The pain, the heaviness, the heartache, the grief that you experience in this life will not last Forever. There will be joy that we experience one day as God's people when all the adversity and all the trials that we go through will be over. So for the joy that is set before you, be faithful and be true. Know that the hardship is not forever. One day we will lay aside those things. We will experience triumph. One day, as, as using again the imagery of the text in this race, one day you're going to cross the finish line. This race is no sprint, it's a marathon, but one day it'll be over. On our hardest days, we, gotta, we must remember that ours is the victory through Christ. And one day we will experience all the joys of that victory. Just like Jesus did. Another aspect, he says, consider him in verse number 3. When I read that phrase, my mind thinks of the phrase, put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes who endured such contradiction of sinners. The word contradiction means opposition. And then I thought about that a little bit. Think about what Jesus endured, not just the pain of the cross, the physical pain that came along with that means of crucifixion and execution, but think about what Jesus endured from sinners. Jesus was literally ridiculed and opposed by Imperfect people with black and rebellious hearts towards God. As all sinners are, they, and they treated Jesus as, he, as if he was not worth living. Sinners stood against the Almighty Son of God. Imagine what he could have done to them. Imagine how he could have put them in their place, but he didn't. He endured the har- hardship for the joy 
that awaited. And remember this, the next time that you become wearied and faint in your minds, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Never gave up, never said, I've had enough, this is it, gone as far as I can come. He pressed forward, keeping in mind the joy that awaited him. And you and I must, must do the same. The phrase, the end of verse number three, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds, that phrase in your minds has stood out to me as I was studying. Because many times on the outside, and kind of as I mentioned in introducing the text, on the outside we, we act like or we like to act like we never get discouraged. We think, I think many people think that will make them a, a bad Christian, if you will. If people, or people might think less of us if they know we get discouraged, that at times our faith grows weak. But I also am confident that many people are wearied and faint in their minds. Their inner man, on the outside, we may put on a smile, we may act like there's energy, we may act like everything is well, but on the inside, we're struggling. Well, if that's you this morning, then hear these words. Think about Jesus. Consider Him, who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. If you're at the point of collapse, and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And then last of this morning, think about this. Think, consider the fact that things could be worse. He says in verse number 4, You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. As bad as the Hebrews Christians may have thought things were, due to the persecution they were facing, it could have been worse. The writer reminds them that as of this point, they have not resisted or stood against their opposition unto blood, meaning likely referring to death. They've not at this point been asked to give their life or been required to give their life for Jesus. So while they thought things may have been hard, they could have been harder. And if that is true for them, a people who have, were truly being persecuted simply for their faith, and you and I are really not in that, con and not in that position but if that's true for them, that it could be worse, I assure you that for you and I, it could be worse. Many times, our, our tendency, everybody, I think, is to think things are worse off than they are. And so our text brings us back to a more realistic mindset. that Things are not as bad as they could be. As far as I know, nobody in here, unless you live in a, go out of this church building and you go to a completely different context than me, are going to be asked to give your life for Christ, at least not at this particular point. Like literally in the physical sense, if you don't take back your, your profession of faith in Christ, you're going to be killed. None of us live in that place. So as much as you feel like your faith is being tested, it could be tested worse. There's also a warning in those words, is are you and I willing to go that far? Is our faith that strong that we are willing to resist unto blood? That's the kind of faith I think is expected of you and I. To be willing to give our life for Christ if that's the allotment that he gives us in life. But this resistance is described in another way as verse number 4 comes to a close. It says, striving against sin. The word striving speaks of a struggle against or to fight against, like two people in a wrestling match. A problem, I think, among many Christians today is we don't see sin as an enemy to wrestle against. 
A lot of times we see sin, unfortunately, as a companion and a friend. Now, many times we may be wise enough to keep sin as a private friend. We may try to enjoy sin, but only keep it where people don't know about it. We may be a little too wise, in other words, to try to to openly live in sin, but there's areas of our life where sin still resides, and we're not fighting against it. We're not seeking to repent of it. We're not praying that God would give us grace to give us victory over that sin. Many people enjoy the fellowship of sin. But again, we're confronted with the reality of Scripture that sin is something you and I should fight against. Yes, it's a part of all of our lives at this point. But we should hate the sin that resides in our heart. We should stand against it, pray that God would deliver us from it. Repent of it. See sin as your enemy. He mentioned already, lay aside the sin. See sin as something that hinders you from living your life to the fullness that it should be lived for Jesus Christ. Sin is something that should be fought against all the way until we get to heaven. Certainly it's not something that you and I should find joy in. Sin is not something to flirt with. Sin is something to fight against. Strive against it. Yes, it's going to be a constant battle. Yes, it abides in all of our hearts. But fight against it. The idea throughout these four verses of quitting or giving up is fully confronted in these verses of Scripture. The writer, again, is not saying this journey is going to be easy. He's not minimizing the struggle of the day-to-day Christian life. In fact, as I mentioned, he calls it a race, a grueling conflict. So he's acknowledging that this life is a challenge. But also, the writer will not allow us to use that as an excuse to be unfaithful. As we stand together this morning and our musicians come around and prepare for a Our invitation this morning, while this life is difficult, we've studied recently in 2 Timothy where Paul told him to fight the good fight of faith. Again, the same theme resides in both of these passages of Scripture. Life's going to be a challenge, but be faithful. Many people, as they come to church put on a mask and act like every day is just lovely and wonderful and perfect. And God's grace is sufficient for every day. And God can give joy in the most trying circumstances. I'm not minimizing any of that, but I'm also being very real this morning and reminding you again this life is not easy. But Scripture never told us it would be easy. So you're not out of the norm if your life is a challenge today. You're not out of the norm if your faith is tested. You're not out of the norm if your faith is growing weak. But because of that, I want the word of the Lord to speak to your heart this morning to say, press on. Press on. It is hard. It is a challenge. But don't give up. Again, think about Jesus. Think about the witnesses that have gone before. Think about Jesus. His life of obedience, his life of faith, he endured the cross. And as I mentioned, your weight is not as heavy as he is. Press on. Press on. If you need fresh strength, today is there for you. As Mark comes around and leads us, you need to come to this altar and pray and ask the Lord to help you, to give you strength, to help you to be faithful. You do that this morning. If the Lord has dealt with your heart, you'll be obedient to Him as Mark leads us in a song of invitation.
Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.